Hello and welcome to the Mind Your Leadership podcast. I'm Karen Tsuk and today I will speak with Wendy Ryan. Wendy is the CEO of Kadabra, an interdisciplinary team of leaders and change experts based in Silicon Valley, California. In addition to her work with Kadabra, Wendy is an active mentor, strategic advisor, and angel investor in early stage companies, an advocate for expanding diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility in the investor and business ecosystem. Wendy is the author of Learn, Lead, Lift. Today we will speak about what does it mean to be a leader and how to lead in these uncertain times. So stay with us. Wendy, it's great to be here with you. Thank you for joining. Oh, it's wonderful to be here too. Thank you. I know you launched a book on May, right? Called I did. Learn, Lead and Lift. Yes. And the subtitle is How to Think, Act and Inspire Your Way to Greatness. Can you tell us a little bit about what made you decide to write this book? Yes. So I have worked in leadership development for about 20 years. So I've been doing it for a while in the form of executive coaching at a program level, facilitation, learning, design, etc. I love it. It's definitely something I'm passionate about. It brings me a lot of joy. Uh, and in 2018, which is about three years ago now, I... Uh, was looking at a big milestone birthday. So, and I, I thought to myself, what do I want to do to really celebrate this, that, that I'm still here and that I've learned some things that might be useful to others. And I really wanted to honor the people that I felt like had been impactful for me and my work. So both personally and professionally. So I said, I'm, I'm going to write a book. That, that's what I'm going to do. I've always liked to write. I've always been told I'm good at it. So I thought, you know, this will be the ultimate test, right? Just put, put, put all this to the test, test this theory. And in addition to that, I, I said, you know, I, I realize I have all these assumptions and beliefs about leadership and because I think I, we think we know what we know, right? Especially if we consider ourselves uh, fairly well-versed in the subject, and I thought, you know, why don't I go ask some people that aren't typically written about in leadership journals and so forth, like artists and athletes, therapists, moms, uh, you know, people who, if we think more creatively about leadership and the definition of that, what do they have to tell us about it? What does great leadership look like to them? And so the book is a product of lots of those conversations with people that I hadn't worked with before and whose perspective I really wanted to to add into that mix along with my own experience. It's a lot of stories. So if you like stories, it's a great read. What's interesting for me, what did you learn from writing the book about leadership? Because you're really an expert in leadership, you know, and then you went and talked with different people from different aspects. What insight did you have during this journey? You know, it's a journey to write a book. Yes. Yeah, so for me, it ended up being a three-year journey. And in, 
in some ways, you know, I could do a whole nother podcast and I think I may be soon on <laughs> the process of writing a book and then how do you how do you get a book into the world? And three years is a long time and that happened for a variety of reasons. But one of the things I'm really grateful for is that I was about 80% done with the book and then came 2020. And I took about six months and I paused. I put the book aside because I felt like I really need to dig into what's happening in the world, uh, how I'm showing up in the world, what, what I think I know, what I clearly don't know, and then come back to it and see, does all of this stuff still really apply? Does it resonate? Or do I need to start over? And I was prepared to just chuck it and start over. I oh. really was. So that was a big I think commitment on my part to say I really want to put something out that that I can stand behind. And fortunately, upon coming back to the book, I said, you know, it, actually the core of this is still really solid and rings true to me and includes all that great wisdom from people that I've talked to. So it needs to be in the world. But I will add a few things to it. So I think for me, it gave me the opportunity to come in and add things to the book that made it ultimately richer and better. And I'm really appreciative of that. So I learned that writing a book is hard. Number two, when we talk specifically about leadership, that there is so much wisdom embedded all around us that we have to be, I can say this two ways, we have to be either really careful or we can really enhance our working knowledge of leadership if we are open to saying, let's look outside of academia. Let's look outside of the corporate boardroom. When we do that, I think people can be amazed as I was about the profound wisdom that's just out there and what we can learn from that. So I, I was really delighted that I learned so much in the interviews that I did, and I did not expect that. You know, for me, when I'm speaking about leadership, I talk about the fact that leadership nowadays, first of all, I can connect because I'm also launching a book in December. Called, so I can Excellent. connect to the process, you know. Oh, I can't wait to read it, Karen. <laughs> Thank you. So when I talk about leadership nowadays, I say we are moving from the traditional leadership, right, based on authority, on control, on external power to internal power, right? to be yes. able to connect with people, to create relationships based on trust and partnerships. And beyond that, I also say that leadership is a social process. Each and every one of us is a leader, right? This is what you're saying, actually. I can be a leader of a conference that I want to lead, an idea in my house with my family, with my yes. colleagues. So each and every one of us is actually a leader. For me, this is what it means, being active, being proactive, going after our goals, our dreams, implementing it in the day-to-day -day and inspiring people. So it's interesting that you say that in your book, you talked with various people about leadership. So if something comes into your mind from one of the conversations you had in your book that you want to share with us and you said, okay, this is what I learned in this conversation. This is what resonated within me that I didn't expect. Yes, I think, you know, so I talked to four artists for the book, and we can include that to be five or six if we expand the definition of, of artist. But I was really interested because I never thought about the business side of art, first of all. And I also 
didn't necessarily reflect much on the personal leadership required for artists because they are inspired, they have a vision, they have a desire to create something. And the, the courage and the tenacity and the commitment it takes to see that through and actually get that into the world has a lot of parallels for leadership now and, and going forward about being authentic, about being vulnerable, about being able to, to take risks where it's appropriate and have a lot of conviction and a lot of integrity. So I think that those interviews especially were incredibly memorable and insightful. And I, I just thought, wow, you could put this person into any other scenario or in an organization, and I bet they would be seen as an incredible leader. So even though that's not on their business card, wow, blown away. Amazing. So you're talking also, I think, about the fact that leadership nowadays, we need to find our passion because our passion can be in different places. But once we have our inner motivation and passion, we can achieve anything. I'm not saying that there's no challenge during the, the path, but we have the fire to go on, to be consistent, yes. even if we're having a challenging times. And all of us are still in the midst of the coronavirus transformation. So we, you know, and as I see it, crucial element of nowadays of leading, I think it's the ability to be able to lead in uncertainty. Because, you know, today is the coronavirus, tomorrow it will be something different. What do you think about it? Very much so. One of uh, the Learn, Leave, Lift framework that I talk about in the book identifies three elements for leadership. One is mindsets, which is how you think. One is skill sets, what you know or know how to do. And the, the other is behaviors, how you're showing up to others. And I identify leading change as an essential skill set for leaders in part because we live in, I'm sure you've heard of the acronym VUCA. Sure. Uh, and, and we live in VUCA times. Um, VUCA is, you know, they're volatile, they're uncertain. It's ambiguous what the right answer is. So the core to me of leading today is acknowledging that we live in VUCA times. That's not going to change. And so we need to become really adept at leading change. I define leadership as influencing others for the purpose of achieving something that's not just solely serving your own interests. So there's, there is an, an element in the way I think about leadership and try to encourage other leaders to think about it that is essentially other-centered. It's about we, it's not just about me. So leadership is hard. It's not about the glory and the accolades and the title and all the trappings of that that we, we may have thought about in the past. It's really about how am I showing up to others in service of this particular goal so that all of us together can succeed. So it's a very selfless orientation really that is needed now and a very flexible one. Back to your, your statement about we've got to figure out how to lead through change all the time and uncertainty all the time. I agree with you. We need to serve others, right? Our employees, our community, our customers. We need to be as a servant and to see how we can enable them to flourish. For this, we need to show up and be vulnerable and be present. You talk also about productivity. I think more in terms of two things. One, it's what, what do I need to pay attention to now? So some of it is strategic thinking, right? Where, what are the points of highest leverage? 
The second piece of that is a mindset that I call systems. So it's systems thinking, right? Mm -hmm. It's saying, seeing around corners. So getting better at something that none of us are born good at, which is long-term thinking. And leaders really benefit and their organizations benefit when they build that mindset around, if I take this action today, not just what's going to happen in three months, but what might happen a year from now. So being able to do those that kind of scenario planning and having an orientation toward the long view. So I think those things are really necessary for, for what you're talking about in terms of productivity. Mm-hmm. The other thing is from the behavioral side, focus is a big deal. So I argue in the book that focus is, it's really about attention. It's about where we put our attention and where we don't put our attention. And I think honestly, that has taken the place of kind of time management and optimization in terms of what's most important. It's many things competing for our attention. And we as leaders have to have to understand and be able to set ourselves up to focus on the things that we need to focus on. And that's something that people notice when we do that well. And they also notice when we don't do that well. I agree with you. You know, I talk about being in the flow because when we are in, we're talking about mindfulness and I will be happy to delve into it in a minute. For me, being productive is when I'm really focused, as you're saying, in the present moment. And I'm really immersed in the activity and I can't hear the noises outside. And, you know, I'm kind of enjoying what I'm doing. So this this is the place when I'm most productive, efficient, and really enjoying what I'm doing. This is the flow state of mind, right? So for me, being focused and in a radical productivity, it's when we are really being here and now present, holding the tension between the doing mode and the being mode and being in the flow state of mind. And then I think we can bring the most out of ourselves. What do you think about it? I think it is an essential ingredient toward leading well, and especially now and into the future. So I think I like to call it applied mindfulness. So I talk about being a mindful leader in the first chapter of my book and then saying what I want to add to the conversation I advocate for is that we have to be not only self-aware, but we also have to be self-adjusting. So we have to be able as leaders to be aware of what's going on for us at any given time, emotionally, mentally, energetically. And then in the moment, we have to get a little more agile and how do we adjust that? Because if we're not showing up in a way that serves others or serves the process or hopefully both, being mindful of that in and of itself isn't necessarily going to get us all the way there. So I think about it in terms of building awareness and then building the ability to execute on that awareness and adjust. Great. I define mindfulness, the ability to be aware of an experience that we are going through. It can be a thought, an emotion, a process that we are going through in a non-judgmental way and without being managed by it, right? This is actually what he's saying. It's not enough to be aware of what I'm feeling right now. I also need to act upon it instead of acting upon my emotion, my automatic behaviors. Right. Creating the space between the stimulation and the response and then to choose how I should act. Do you have an example from your experience that you work with a leader yeah, so a couple of things come to mind. Um, most of the leaders that I've worked with, and I think this is true for a lot of people who gravitate toward leadership or traditionally the people that we've invited 
to become leaders tend to be people with a strong sense of urgency. They're very results driven. They're not the most patient people on the planet. Mm -hmm. So that being kind of, I'd like to say 85% of people I work with would that profile. So some of the things we do in the, in the process of working together involve taking time to do some self-inventory, right? And then getting feedback from others, whether it's 360 feedback or some other approach to say, how do I align what I, how I think I'm showing up with how other people think I'm showing up? So that's sort of a standard part of the process. And I, and I think that really important insights have come out of that for people that I work with who really are ready to make a change or a shift. And, you know, I've had people that decided, you know, we define success a couple of different ways. Some people were able to keep a job because they were able to shift their behavior enough, ultimately how they were showing up to others to be successful in that role. Other people through that process realize this really isn't for me. And that was also a beneficial outcome for them and for the organization. So without outing anyone specifically, I would say that success for what you're talking about to me can look a couple of different ways. And ultimately I define that by, is the person really engaging in the process and are those insights coming forward and are they then coming up with a plan to do something about the insight? I think what I'm hearing from you, it's does the person is aligned with his values? Is he in the right place? And sometimes during the process of being mindful and aware, we understand that we don't live our life, that we don't do what we are passionate about. We went to this job because I needed to be or because of my parents, because of my colleagues, because of my spouse, I don't know what. But then I can pause and ask myself frank questions and understand maybe it's not the right path for me anymore. Maybe it served me till now, but now I need to shift to another company. And that's great because then the company will recruit a better fit for the company and this person can go and find his path and develop himself in the right direction. So I think it's an important thing because usually we see when an employee leaves the workplace or the workplace say goodbye to the employee, it feels like a negative experience. But at the end of the day, it can be a positive one because if you look in the holistic perspective, you can see that it benefits both of them. And what I see, you know, what I experience, I think it's a big issue for us as individuals, the feeling of a separation, of letting go of a person or they didn't want me, so it sits on our self-worth, you know. So it's really emotional, right? It's an emotional situation that we project so many things on it beyond the issue itself. What do you think about it? Yes, I talk a lot about, about emotions in the book and in my work with leaders because emotions are data. At the, at if, when I'm talking with engineers and scientists, I especially like to start with that. Emotions are data. And so we ignore that data set at our peril and we really constrain ourselves from being the best leaders we can be if we say, you know, emotions, I don't have time for that, or it's soft, or, you know, that I'm not into that stuff. So really changing the conversation around how emotions benefit us, not just building awareness and self-regulation around it, but understanding that that's a great source of insight for us and, um, and power and energy. So I, I think 
and I'm really pleased to see all the conversation that's gone on of late about emotion. And, and I think, unfortunately, a lot of the catalyst has been trauma caused by the pandemic and by our racial reckoning and other issues that really touch us at a wide scale. And some of us very profoundly and directly, some of us less directly. But there's a lot of emotion in the air in addition to emotion that's within us. And for leaders, it's it's got to be something that we embrace and we embed in our leadership. I really like the way that you put it, emotion, it's data is so true. You know, we ignore this data, but it's, it's the most important data. We talked about in the beginning about being a leader and being passionate and creative, right? And being in the flow state of mind. And at the end of the day, the traits of passion, creativity, compassion are connected to our heart, right? And we close it. So we're working only from our mind without connection to our heart. And then we don't work from a complete place. And then we con- it's really difficult to lead because at the end of the day, an emotion, it's like a bridge between people. And when you don't put the bridge, you can't connect with people. So it's really crucial. I couldn't agree more with you. I would be happy if we can give tips to our listeners out what they can do with this emotion because it really scares people you know they say okay i will open the tap and it will flood me and i don't know what to do with it right right i think this scares people more than anything else so when we start talking about emotions and what i'm feeling what you're feeling very similar to the conversations around diversity around privilege around things that a lot of us don't feel real prepared for because of how we were educated or raised or what was reinforced for us. So I, in terms of some of my favorite tips, I think first of, first of all, it, it helps to a large extent to just learn how to name what we're feeling and encourage other people that we're working with to put a name to that. And when you encourage someone to do that, it's not saying, okay, Jim, no, I need, okay, I, I get that you're upset, but what are you upset about? Or are you sure you're upset? Are you sure it's not frustration? We're not looking for, we're not looking to demand this of ourselves or from others. It's an invitation. So if I am feeling upset, if I'm feeling stressed, one of the best things I can do is to pause whatever I'm doing to the extent I can and say, okay, what, what thoughts am I having? that are leading to this emotion. What story am I telling myself about that situation? And and what is this feeling really? So one of the things we like to use is it's called the emotions wheel. And it it really helps you kind of decode. And, and a lot of people find this helpful to say, how do I take these big chunks of feeling, like big chunks of negative feeling or big chunks of positive feeling, and then get a little more precise in exactly what that is. And just the process of doing that, it's kind of a sneaky way of engaging our prefrontal cortex, which is the thinking part of our brain. And that automatically starts to calm us down. So it's not even so much about the answer we get to sometimes as it is just challenging ourselves to to think and put language to things is a way of helping us self-regulate. Um, so that's one of my, my favorite tips for leaders. It doesn't cost us anything. We can start doing it right away. And like anything else, we get better at it the more we practice. Great. I really love it. You know what? During my courses, I 
with I facilitate the meditation, a categorizing meditation. What does it mean? They sit in pairs. You know this meditation? They I, I in, love it. Yeah. They, they sit in pairs and then they, one of them meditates and need to resonate outside what, what is going through in his body. Is it a sensation, an emotion, judgment, or a thought? And it's amazing. You know, we are so tuned out that we are not tuned in. We don't know what we are going through. It's amazing. And people don't know to say, okay, it's an emotion, it's a sensation. And, you know, I think this is the, what we need to do right now to tune in, pay our attention inside and then choose how to act upon it because otherwise we act upon our internal world without connecting to it and we lose it and we can't be authentic with people. We can't share our feelings. We can't be there for others because we don't, as you say, we don't know what to do with it. So I think this is a really main challenge nowadays to pause and go inside ourselves. Yes. And and to do that without putting a judgment, because emotions, uh, the, the most useful way to think about emotions, I think, is to recognize that they simply are, right? So if we get hooked into, should I be feeling this way or not? Or should she be feeling that way or not? That doesn't really serve us well. It's, it's understanding what is contributing to that emotion and what can we do about it that's important. And people tend to feel much safer. So we talk a lot about psychological safety and how that drives engagement and performance. People have to get the sense from leadership that it's okay to feel and whatever that is, that's okay. It's, it, as soon as we start to say, well, that's off limits or that's bad, we have a problem. We have a real problem when it comes to keeping people engaged and happy at work. I think it's so crucial nowadays, you know, only to acknowledge the feeling. Even when, when you start a Zoom meeting and you see one of your employees frustrated or angry. So only saying, Jane, I see that you are frustrated. How can I be here for you? What can I do for you? Only this, not yes. judging it, not saying it's not okay. Because when people feel seen, they will engage with you, right? They will feel yes. great because they're okay. She saw me. That's okay. I can continue on. Otherwise, they stay stuck in their emotion and not showing up. So I think it's really, as you said, it's really the small thing to do. And it doesn't cost money, even doesn't take a lot of time. In a paradoxical way, it decreases the time of the meeting, right? Because people will be engaged and they will be present with you, not in the mind, not in the feelings, feeling stuck. So it's the small thing of engaging the people, seeing them, acknowledging them, and giving place to the experience because we can't judge each other experience. You know, you can feel different from, for me, toward the same thing. That's okay. We're not the same person. And when you're coming from the ex your experience and not judging me, not telling me how I should react, then I'm open. Okay, I can connect with your experience and see what's my experience. Once I will come to my employee or colleague and start telling them how they need to act from my mind. So, you know, there will be antagonism, right? Because don't see what I feel. What are you telling? And then it will be like kind of a fight between our minds, right? And then we get stuck because you don't see me. I don't see you. And then we can go round, round, round and waste a lot of time. <laughs> yes. And that disconnection really impedes productivity. It really impedes our creativity and our innovation. So it, it ultimately, again, if, you're, if your interest in leadership and in, in what we're talking about is 
more centered on, okay, what does this have to do with revenue and profit and all of those things, I would say to you, it has a lot to do with it because you are not going to get the most innovative ideas. You are not going to get the the best go-to-market strategy. You are not going to get the best products or or the best services over time to outcompete or to be sustainable without that. So it really is that important and that foundational. And we haven't even talked about the change of demographics that we have going on, a shift in the world where we don't have the same workforce that we've always had. We have five generations in some cases working side by side in some organizations. And the generation that's coming up, what we call in the USA Gen Z, it has very, very different expectations around being open and being vulnerable at work, who they are in terms of identity and also what they're experiencing and the kind of experience that they expect the workplace to help foster. So it behooves us, no matter what our motivation is at this point, to get much more intentional about everything we've been talking about. Wendy, it was such an interesting conversation. I can continue for hours. So people will want to read your book and to find you. Where can they find you? One of the best ways to start relationship with me or learn more about me is go to LinkedIn. So I'm very active there and I love to connect with people, happy to answer questions. And I do a lot of posting and blogging there. And also visit the book's website. So the book's website is learnleadlift.com. And there you can find links to free resources to download. So you don't actually have to purchase a copy of the book in order to start benefiting from some of the tools and the strategies in the book. So I recommend that to people as a way to get started if this is something of interest to you. Thank you very much. And thank you for being with us and sharing your experience and knowledge and wisdom. It's been a joy, Karen. Thanks so much for having me. This was Wendy Ryan. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. You're invited to subscribe to our podcast in order to know when we upload a new one. And you're invited to follow us on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, whatever works for you. Thank you for listening. Until the next episode, take care and bye-bye.